0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab it. We are going to be jumping a little bit through the scriptures this morning and uh, would want to encourage you to have a Bible in front of you so that you are able to do that. We're continuing today in our series uh, that I've titled Enough, a two-part series. Last week, we looked at simply living or living simply. What I meant by that was adjusting our lifestyles in order for you and I to create space for you and I to then be able to respond and to give generously as we see the needs arise in our lives. As I mentioned last week, I'll oftentimes hear teachings on generosity, which is more of our focus for today, but rarely do I hear a first part, which is important, which is adjusting our lifestyle, living simply in the way of Jesus. Before we jump into our text this morning and our message, why don't you take a moment to check in mind, body, soul and spirit. And then once you've done that, we'll continue with this morning's uh, teaching. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather to listen uh, to you. Ultimately, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, multiply uh, the words that I am going to share. And would you, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, change and motivate your people? Would we become a radically generous community? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's begin this morning with a couple of questions. And the first question is this. What does it mean to be generous or what is generosity? As you think about your life, as you think about this world, how would you define what generosity is or when someone is being generous? And then the second follow-up question is, would you consider yourself a generous person? Person, would you consider yourself a generous person? So, based on your definition of what it means to be generous, are you in fact a generous person? Maybe you've given somebody something before and they said something along the lines of, Well, thank you, that is so generous. And maybe you then were struck with the reality of, Well, really, it didn't cost you very much, it was something that was something of excess in your life. And so, was that in fact an opportunity and was that in fact generosity? Now in the scriptures, we actually don't have to go very far to come to an understanding of what generosity is. And so my hope today is that we will define as uh, according to Jesus, what generosity is, and then we'll look at how we can be motivated to give generously. And then we're going to end with some practical considerations as we close out this series Enough. So let's uh, jump into a text in the Gospels. We're going to Mark twelve, Mark twelve, verses forty-one to forty-four, to look at a definition of generosity according to Jesus. So what is generosity? Let's go to some uh, examples. An example in Mark's Gospel as it relates to this. Mark twelve, verse forty-one to forty-four. This is what we read. I'll read the text and then provide some contextual description. And he that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Okay, what is going on here? We're here here in Mark. Mark narrates a scene in which Jesus watches with a discerning eye the offerings being made in the treasury of the temple. This is an area within the temple complex that housed 13 chests. And these ter- 13 chests were placed for the purpose of collecting offerings. And this is an area within the temple complex that was exclusively for Jews. And Mark narrates this and tells us that there are many rich people who come and who put in large sums of money. At the same time, we're introduced to a poor widow. Now, in the Greek text, there's an emphasis on the word poor, which is to show us and to indicate that this woman is truly poverty stricken. She has nothing quite literally. Now, at the time, there was a, a rabbinic rule prohibiting the offering of a single coin. And so as a result, the widow gives two regardless of her situation, And so the two small copper coins or mites, we're actually, if you again, look at the contextually, they were the two smallest copper coins in circulation at the time. They were an 80th part of a denarius, an eighth part of the denarius, equaling a total of one fourth of a cent. And so the fact that that, that she has these coins confirms that she is poor because of how minimal and how small these coins were as far as their value. Now, it was also a common belief at the time that the rich were seen as those who were blessed by God and the ones he was pleased with, and therefore the poor were seen as those whom God despised or those whom God gave poverty. In many ways, this isn't so far from what people would call prosperity theology in our day. And so here Jesus sees this offering of the widow and of these wealthy people and the context as a teaching moment for his disciples. And so he calls them to himself to teach them about generosity. And here's what Jesus wants to communicate as it relates to the nature of generosity and what generosity is. According to Jesus, the poor widow gave more because she contributed out of her poverty. Everything she had and everything she had to live on compared to the rich who gave a portion from their abundance. Let me say that again. According to Jesus, the poor widow gave more because she contributed out of her poverty compared to the rich who gave a portion from their abundance. Well, What does this mean for you and for me? Well, I think what this indicates for us is that an amount or a percentage is secondary. The primary thing that Jesus is addressing is the physical cost and the sacrifice, which will then ultimately reveal the condition of our heart and whether or not we are giving in a way that it costs us something. The wealthy were giving and they would have likely been giving in such a way that would have met the standards of rabbinic and Jewish law. But this could maybe have not actually cost them anything. And this is what Jesus is trying to get after. And so generosity, according to Jesus, is defined by what it truly costs you. And so it forces us to ask the question, is there a sacrifice involved in our giving? Do you feel it viscerally like this woman would have in her own life? An example of this from another uh, passage in Mark is Mark 10, verses 17 to 22, in which Jesus is pointing out the condition of someone's heart as it relates to their possessions. And so Mark 10, verse 17 to 22, we read this, And as he, that is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, And so out of Jesus' loves, he says the following thing to him. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasury in heaven, treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Well, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, is Jesus telling that those of us who are rich that we should go and sell all that we have? Maybe. But I believe the point that what Jesus is making with this particular man is the condition of this man's heart. And Jesus saw past this rich young ruler's obedience to see the true condition of his heart. And like the rich in the text that we found above that we talked just about, more than likely this young ruler is giving all the necessary or required Jewish tithes. And yet they don't touch his heart because ultimately they don't cost him anything. And so Jesus is inviting his disciples to his kingdom where radical generosity is to be the norm. Jesus is inviting you and I, his disciples, to his kingdom where radical generosity is to be the norm. Well, the next question I want us to answer answer is that if this is the norm, if radical generosity is to be the norm, how do we get there and how do you and I become the type of people who are giving in this particular way. To explore this question, go with me, please, to Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. To some of us, this will be a familiar story. To others, maybe less so. But go with me to Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, the story of Zacchaeus. This is what we read in Luke 19, 1 to 10. He, again, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. powerful story. What are some of the context going on here? And a bit of a summary. Jericho here is the last major city Jesus spends time in prior to him going on to Jerusalem, where his passion will take place. And it is here in this city that we are introduced to Zacchaeus. Now, we are told that Zacchaeus is not simply a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. And this is an important detail. And this tells us that Zacchaeus has been elevated through the ranks of tax collectors and likely has been elevated by being more crooked than anyone else, which means he's most often cheated people and particularly Jews of their earnings, Now, Jews at the time had various social hierarchies and tax collectors were amongst the worst of them, as they were seen as those who were in cahoots with the Romans, oftentimes contributing to Roman ill treatment, abuse, and the ultimate poverty of the Jewish people. But despite his status, we read here that Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus and gets himself into a tree to see him because we read he's small in stature. And it is here that Jesus responds to him, inviting himself then over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, the response of the Jews to Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus' house and to visit Zacchaeus tells us something about how counter to Jewish culture this was, and at the same time communicates a transformation that we read happens in Zacchaeus' life because of Jesus' hospitality. In, in this world, hospitality really means the welcoming in of an outsider. And did you notice in verse 8 and 9 how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus and Jesus coming over to his home? He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Thebati Enya Bewile, in his commentary, uh, Christ centered exposition, exalting Jesus in Luke, comments on Zacchaeus' transformation in this way. He says, Zacchaeus is not buying his salvation. No amount of money can buy salvation. No, he's showing by his giving the change of heart he's had. When a person is truly repentant, it affects how they view and they use money. At the very least, money is no longer their God. Jesus Christ is. They don't look to cheat people for money. Instead, they look to bless people with their money. They become givers rather than takers because they've been set free from greed and idolatry. A converted man... Is a generous man. And so, what we see here, what motivates a lifestyle of radical generosity? Well, a lifestyle of radical generosity, as Jesus defines it, is motivated and founded on what Christ has done for you and for me, for us, by welcoming us as outsiders in. In other words, what motivates it is the gospel. In Romans 1 verse 16, we read, Paul, who writes to the Roman church, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What we understand here is that the gospel not only has the power to save our souls, it also has the power to change the priorities of our bank accounts. Now, you might say in response to this story about Zacchaeus, okay, well, Zacchaeus had lots of money and lots of resources and and he got it by, yes, defrauding people, but at least he had a lot to then give away from. What about those of us who have less? And so simply I'd bring us to another example in the scriptures: 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 15, 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 15, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, Paul writes, we want you to know brothers And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What is being described to us here? Well, the Apostle Paul informs the Corinthian church about the radical generosity of the churches in Macedonia towards the persecuted church in Jerusalem. In other words, the mother church. And so despite the affliction and extreme poverty that they face, their joy in Christ propelled them to give beyond their means. And according to Paul, this was motivated by first a commitment to the Lord and then to the apostles and their work. And so what Paul is doing is is he is inviting the Corinthian church to do the same thing, to contribute in this act of grace as well. The passage continues, verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it might might be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should, should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack." And so what do we see here? Well, again, according to Paul, responding to the need of the churches in Jerusalem will ultimately show the genuineness of the Corinthian church's love for Christ, motivated ultimately by by what Christ has done for them. And Paul believes that their abundance at the present time has the opportunity to supply for the needs of others because there may even come a time when the reverse will be necessary. And so Paul is inviting the church, the big C church to share and to provide for one another. And why does he say this? Well, the point is this, that the big C church is a family And you and I as the church are motivated by our older brother's generosity, Jesus Christ's generosity toward us, making a way for you and for me to be adopted into his family, becoming heirs with him and restored in relationship to our heavenly father. What this means is that even those without, even those without motivated by Christ and the abundance of joy that he gives us will naturally respond in generosity. Now, it's important to note that it's our sin and it's our sin nature that causes us to think and act independently and with a tight grip on our stuff. Yet Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to save us from the sin, defeat it, and fill us with the Holy Spirit to empower us to become a generous people. That said, we should never underestimate the power of sin in our lives in this area in particular And so we need to daily invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts and to transform us from one degree to another, from being a people that have a tight grip on our things and on our stuff to become an open-handed people that run away from self-sufficiency to dependence upon God. Okay, so here are some practical considerations and practices then as we talked last week about living simply and this week of giving generously, getting a definition first today of what generosity is, learning how we ought to be motivated to become a generous people, and then recognizing that even in lack, we can be a people that step out in radical generosity. Here's the first practical consideration or practice. The first thing is prayer. We must become a people who ask God for a generous spirit. What this means is that as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer that invites us that once our daily portion is met, you and I have the opportunity to scheme how we can ultimately share what is left over. And what this means is that as we pray, we must also begin to see needs. And as we begin to see the needs of others up close, We can see exactly where excess, the things that we have that are beyond what we need, can be best used to help somebody else. And prayer is critical to this. Second practical consideration, it's all God's and you and I are simply stewards of what he has provided James 1 verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I remember hearing a pastor illustrating this in a sermon in this way. At the beginning of the service, he gave a $100 bill to somebody within his congregation, and he simply asked the person to come and to give him the $100 back when the time in his sermon came for when he was going to ask for it back. And so midway through his sermon, the pastor said, would the person who I gave $100 to please come to the front and give me back the $100? Well, this individual came forward and handed him back the $100. And this is when the pastor asked this person the question, why was it so easy to give this $100 back to me? And the person replied, because it was always yours to begin with. And this is the point here that all that we have is God's and you and I are then simply stewards of what God has provided. Thirdly, While percentage is secondary, I totally believe that it can be a helpful starting place. When I do premarital counseling with with couples and we talk about budget, I always encourage them at the top of their budget to have giving as the priority. And what I'd encourage everybody to do, not just couples, is to once again, invite God by his spirit to direct you ultimately in your giving. And so while percentage is secondary, it can totally be a helpful starting place place and a place that you can say, this is what it will cost me, again, starting at the top of your budget. With that, another point in practical consideration is to actually budget. You and I, once again, are invited to steward our resources. Don't let our resources or don't let your resources steward you or worse, control you. Luke 6 verse 38 reads, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are invited to live simply, to give from excess and from lack. And I would also say that starting somewhere or starting with something is better than nothing. And so that's what I'd encourage all of us to start the practice of giving now. I remember when I was a youth pastor and I did a series on generosity and on giving. And one particular night I was leading the grade 12 Uh, guys in their discussion. And so we were having this conversation about what is generosity, how they would define generosity. And then I asked them the question, are you currently giving? And many of them said, well, I'm not currently giving because I'm saving up for college or I'm saving up for university. And so ultimately what they believed is that they would only start giving if and when they'd saved up or paid off everything they needed to save up for or pay off. Now, adults uh, in this room today or adults listening, I'm sure you can testify to the fact that if that is the principle, if you will only give once you've saved up for everything that you desire or paid off everything that you owe, the truth is you'll probably never get to the place of being generous or giving anything at all. And so as followers of Jesus, we are invited to practice radical generosity here and now. And so I'd encourage you to start the practice now. Another consideration is to give, but don't expect anything in return. Jesus in Luke 14 verses 12 to 14 says this, You and I are invited to see the needs of others. And many times, if we're honest at a heart level, we give, but then we want to keep some control about how it is going to be used. And sometimes we want to be repaid for what we give. And this is not what Jesus encourages us to do. He encourages us to give but expect nothing in return. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, An individual has not begun to live until he can rise above the narrow horizons of his particular individualist concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Another consideration, practical consideration, is to sow bountifully in cheerfulness. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 to 7 says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know that the kingdom of God is an incredibly good investment? I'd encourage each of us to find things that we are passionate about. What gets you excited You know, it's totally an opportunity for you to give to the church. But there are many things that you can give your money towards. The encouragement is to sow bountifully and to sow in cheerfulness. And then the final practical consideration today is this, to keep Christ central. Keep Christ central. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When we keep Christ central, when we recognize what he has done for us, you and I become generous people because we respond from the generosity that we have received in Jesus' coming to earth for us and in God the Father's gift. Some things for you to reflect on as you go today is once again, returning to the definition of what is true generosity. How does this differ from your perspective and the perspectives of those around you? Are you, if you're honest, are you a generous person by Jesus' standards? And are you on a path with this trajectory what are the things that you may be holding back from God, not just materially, but in every aspect of your life, in your time and your talents? How do you need to be gospeled? How do you need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you? What, Why and what are you holding back? What are you scared of? What are your idols? We think back to the rich young ruler. He wanted to hold on to his possessions. And then a final thinking is, how does this teaching impact our church community? What would it look like if if this teaching and if these words of Jesus truly transformed us? What sort of community would we become? I think we'd be the type of community. In our vision statement, we say we desire to see our community look more like heaven so that every person has a relationship with Jesus. And I believe if we became this radically generous people, embodying the kingdom of God, that that would lead to other people coming to know Jesus and coming to understand what it means to be part of his kingdom. With that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to woo us to your definition of generosity. Lord, would we repent of our idols, specifically our idols that are connected to our possessions, to our stuff, Would we become a type of people that scheme how we can use what you've given us to bless the world that we live in? We thank you for your example of generosity towards us and we pray that it would change us and that we would become the type of people that you invite us to be. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us. And Lord Jesus, would we continue to be a people that pray in Guelph as it is in heaven. Amen.